would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 makes the connection between the work of Christ and the, the work of His grace in our hearts. We'll read the first, the first 18 verses. Philippians 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for or to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do, and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ you may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice, sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you all be glad and rejoice with me. Christ came, laid down His life, and because He was faithful, the Lord gave Him a name above every name, exalted Him to the height of heaven, to His own right hand. And there's a a parallel. He came, He lived, He laid down His life, and Father rewarded Him, supplied Him with uh, a name and glory above it, exceedingly great. And so as we face troubles and trials in this life, uh, we endure. What does Jesus say? Blessed are those of you when you're persecuted. 
Blessed are you when you're despised, when you're accused falsely. But great is your reward in heaven. So we have that same promise. That if we endure to the end, we shall uh, have supplied all that we need. would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6. Over the last year or two, I have gone through uh, periodically sections of the book of Proverbs, and uh, as I was wondering what to preach on, uh, both here in Lincoln and then in Omaha, I have a few ideas of what I hope to cover, but in my indecision, I thought, well, I'll just continue preaching what I'm preached. I've been preaching in in, uh, in Omaha, and I'll just preach uh, those messages here, uh, there as well as here. So I would invite you to t- look at verses 20 to the end of the chapter of Proverbs, chapter six, and um, the the two main antagonists of these early chapters of the book of Proverbs is evil men and evil women. And the warnings are fairly equally divided. I had thought it talked about um, evil women, uh, harlots, and so forth more frequently, but uh, this past week I kind of kept a, a, a bar graph on both sides, and it's remarkably balanced. Uh, there are things to be aware of uh, on every level. Uh, and, and as the, the chapters progress from chapters 1 and 2, uh, addressing seemingly younger children, uh, as the chapters continue, they, I, I think, are addressing uh, men and women in their teens, in their early days of adulthood, uh, providing them with direction and counsel and so on. Chapter six spends half of, half of itself, verses one through nineteen, essentially talking about the character of wicked men, of what they do, and. The second part, which we're going to read and study this morning, verses 20 and following, you might see that bold heading in your Bibles. It says, um, uh, beware of adultery. I just remembered that we're, you guys have the ESV in the, the pews here. All right, so here, hear the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 6. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of an adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's life. None who touches her 
will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all his goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Wounds and dishonor will he get, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious. He will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, these chapters of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, are different than the rest of the book of Proverbs. Uh, you, you read the, the latter chapters of Proverbs and they seemingly are disconnected bits of wisdom, statements, affirmations. But in these early chapters of the book of Proverbs, uh, we have clear argumentation, we have reminders, we have warnings, we have encouragements. And uh, what, one of the, the impressions that I have as I preach through these early chapters is it uses military terms. Guard wisdom. Set a perimeter. Be cautious and careful. Why is that necessary? Well, because we live in a world that is quite disjointed, uh, is, is, is quite um, contrary to the things of, of God. You know what the fool says in his heart? There is no God. And because the fool doesn't believe in, in God, guess what else he doesn't believe in? He doesn't believe there's a right or a wrong. He believes that it's just um, vain and empty tradition that would require you to obey the will of God. And yet we are quite convinced otherwise, aren't we? That God is. And not only is He not silent, He has revealed Himself and His will for our benefit. That we might take it to heart. That we might understand what instructions that He would give. Well, my thought for the next few weeks anyway, I'm going to do the first part of chapter 7. Uh, we'll see how far we decide to go. I'd, I'd kind of like to expound chapter 8 because I'm just quite literally astounded by all that is included there. Uh, the, the, the portrayal of God's wisdom and His grace um, uh, beyond compare. But what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Probably a few definitions out there. I think my working definition for wisdom, and maybe some of you have heard me say this before, wisdom is knowing enough to do what's right when you're tempted to do wrong. Right? You can say, oh, I know what's right. I know God's will. Well, biblically speaking, if you're not doing what you know is right, you don't really know it. You just know the ought, not the is. And so it is that if, if we face temptation, maybe to pocket money at work, maybe, well, who knows, right? 
uh, to take a, a, a glance at something we ought not to. Well, if we do those things, what are we really saying about ourselves? That we are not wise. That at that moment in time, we're playing the part of the fool. And, and there's going to be some applications, I think, through the course of this message. Not the main point, but um, there, there are things that will avert our eyes. Or maybe there are things that our eyes are drawn to that we need to avert our eyes from looking at. Uh, I think I mentioned last time I preached here that uh, Woodrow Kroll, of uh, what value is a good day, but not also a godly day. Well, something I learned from him. Uh, what is the degree of the integrity that we should emulate and, and maintain? And he said one time, oh, uh, I, I have no locks. I have, I have no protections on, on, on any of my computers, my phones, because I want transparency. I want others to be able to look and see what I believe and what I'm doing. And, and, and I think there's great wisdom in that. And, and I think that um, if there's not, I mean, there's, I, I guess there's people that snoop and stuff like that, so that, that'd be different. But in terms of our families, uh, I think we should share our passwords. We should, we should be open. No, no secrets. No need for that. Because of, of, of who we are and, and what God has given. Well, what we will see, um, the last time I, I preached from Proverbs chapter 6, I looked at uh, verses 20 to 23. And, and really, that's, that's where we're supposed to be, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing. And so the, the theme that we have for this passage this morning is having taught her sons and daughters that the way of life is keeping God's commandments, wisdom now demonstrates the folly of adultery or fornication, sexual sin. We'll look first at the unveiled heart of the adulterous woman. We'll look at the undeniable dangers of such sin. And then thirdly, the undoubtable folly of the adulterous man. What does the Word of God say? Well, the Word of God says that we are to follow the instruction, the direction that we've received growing up. Uh, listen to your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Um, who wants your eventual success the most? Probably your parents. So they're, they're not trying to keep you from having fun or uh, hinder you from some uh, opportunity to enjoy life. No. Uh, there's a right way and a wrong way. Actually, I didn't say that right. There is a right way. There's thousands. So wisdom will say, don't turn to the left or to the right. Keep your blinders, keep your focus on doing that what you know is right. And will that mislead you? Will that misguide you? Not at all. Not at all. Look at verse 21. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you, when you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak. Where the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Is that Psalm 119, 176, I think? Uh, the law is a guide, a, a light to our feet and a light to our path. Indeed. The commandment is a lamp. The law is a light. 
the reproofs of instruction are the way in which we should go. And, and then we come to the lesson of the remaining of this chapter. To keep you from the evil woman. From the flattering tongue of a seductress. Right? Well, these things are all kind of the unmasking uh, of, of one who would lead you astray. And, and these ones that might lead you astray is really anyone that would urge you to do that which you know you ought not to do. And of course, look at verse 25. 25 says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. What's the concern there? I'll say it's it's, it's sins in here. It, it, it's thinking about and wanting that which is not right, is not good, is not true. And so it is that the the one that we're protected from, no doubt, physically attractive, no doubt, quite alluring. And so it says, do not lust, do not allow yourself to lust. We need to hear and be reminded of, of that which wisdom would teach us. So the principal sin that we're warned about here in verses 24 and 25 uh, is the realization, is the fact uh, that there is danger lurking. Uh, in fact, look at verse 26. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. The ESV had a little bit different than that. Um, the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. That is to say, all you are to her is her next meal. All you are to her, it's like these panhandlers holding a sign by the road. All you are is an opportunity, a meal ticket. Even though she might say something quite different. Oh, you're so handsome. You're so strong. You're so... You're so cool. Somebody says that to you? Probably not true. <laughs> right? For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Who seeks prey? Predators. Lions, tigers, bears, mountain lions, all of these, they, they seek prey. They seek it. They search it. They pursue it in, in any and every manner that they might. In fact, there's a proverb that says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What, 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 what's that about? What is this woman after? 
that which she desires. And you, at that moment in time, are just an, an opportunity. You are a possibility uh, for her to get what she wants. In fact, if you would read chapter 7, that's, that's the next chapter, it talks about her character, it talks about the way that she speaks. Uh, verse 21, with her enticing speech, she causes him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. And he goes after her like an ox goes to the slaughter, or a fool to the correction of the Scots. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. And those who go, the warning of Proverbs is do not return again. She seeks prey upon his precious life. What dangers are we alerted to? Look at the next verses. Verse 20, verse 27, Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on burning coals and his feet not be seared? It's a rhetorical question. What's the right answer? No. Absolutely not. If you take a burning log or a burning ember and put it in your cloak, what's going to happen? Your clothes are going to get burned, and if that continues, your skin is going to get burned. Right? Same thing. If you walk on a, over a fire, I remember, maybe a dumb example, uh, on the, the show Survivor, I have no idea what number it was, but the guy was exhausted in front of the fire, and he fell into the campfire and burned his hand. Yeah? Some of you remember that too, right? Well, what's going to happen to those hands if they're exposed to the fire? We don't have a magician here. We don't have a magic trick here. We have just a hard reality of burned hands. And in this case, burned feet. Look at verse 29. So is he who goes into his neighbor's fly. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. But the word so there, uh, verse 29, has the same word in the ESV. It's actually a conjunction. Therefore, thus shall a man truly, certainly, whoever goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her, shall not be innocent. Kind of like the third commandment, shall not be held guiltless. Is that bad? I would say that's pretty bad. Because if you're not innocent, not held as innocent, what are you? Held as guilty. What's the hope of the Christian faith? Have our sins washed away and to be counted as acceptable in God's sight. Well, that that's not so if we're not going to be held guiltless. And the, and the same thing here. So he who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her shall not be innocent, shall be guilty. 
Just as you'll get burned by putting coals in your pocket, so you will experience the negative consequences of committing adultery. And so serious is this that uh, it, it, it was even a, a legal statute in, in Old Testament Israel. I think there's some 16 capital crimes or 18, something like that. One of them is adultery. In, in, in that context especially, pretty, pretty foolish. Think of the sin of David and Bathsheba. The, the ought should be disqualification right there, but God is gracious. Right? That's why he writes Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. That, that, that God would have mercy upon him. Yielding to temptation. Yielding to temptation leaves scars and sorrows that cannot be undone. You get burned, it's going to leave a mark, we got to say, right? If somebody has an accident. Reminded of Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, who can finish that verse? That he will reap. And so we are obliged to recognize uh, what it is that God desires, why it is that God would ordain and, and require such a thing. Well, the third point here is the undoubtable folly of the adulterous man, verses 30 to 35. It begins with an illustration comparing one commandment with another. Number eight, number seven. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he's hungry. Yet, even he, when he's found, if he's found out, he must restore sevenfold. And he may have to give up all the substance of his house. Thou shalt not steal. One of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Both are against the law. And yet the prescribed consequences for these two sins are quite contrary, are quite different from one another. The idea is that if someone has to steal food because they're starving, that's understandable. Right? Feed himself, feed his family. And, and, and as much as is possible, he'll have, to over, he'll have to repay what he has taken. Uh, he, he might even lose his home or his house, his possessions. He may become an indentured servant. Biblically justice-wise. Adultery is another matter. The institution of marriage is a sacred bond sealed by a vow before Almighty God. talked about the third commandment. Do not take the Lord's name in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Well, apparently God counts our words and our vows as more, more seriously than we sometimes do. Uh, Ecclesiastes says, better not to make a vow than to make a vow and break a vow. 
Indeed, as we read on here in these last few verses, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get. His reproach will not be wiped away. And so what, what we see here um, is, is the adulterous woman a problem? Sure. Does the adulterous woman and her alluring speech and her tempting eyelashes as she flutters her eyes or cocks her head or whatever she does to charm you? Does that mean the man is not responsible or accountable? Not in the least. Not in the least. Whoever commits adultery with a woman, what? Lacks understanding. Wounds and dishonor he will get in his disgrace will not be wiped away. Wounds and dishonor he will get. He will not go unpunished. And so it's the man who becomes an adulterer. Right? He, he loses standing. He, he loses uh, the respect of others. In fact, there's a verse in Job chapter 1. I think it's verses 1 and 2. Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why should I look at a young woman? I remember one time when I was a new Christian, I was a student at Dort, I had a speech professor. Uh, and I was walking behind him down the hallway and there was this gal that we, walking in front of him. Um, I don't know, this was what? The late 80s, middle 80s. Uh, tight jeans were a thing. And I remember seeing him avert his eye and learned a lesson. And, and, and I think there's lessons there for all of us to learn. Should we look at things that are wrong? No. There's no benefit to that. All that will is further entice us and, and, and bring us down the, that way of life. In fact, um, one of the notes I have here is from James chapter 1. How does sin work? Well, sin works by being tempted by our own desires. What, what are our desires with the things that we want that we ought not to have? What's that? Well, when those desire, when that desire conceives, gets acted upon, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth what? Anybody know? You know. Sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Wisdom is such a thing. It, it, it's the voice of God. It, it, it's the counsel and the direction that He gives. When we say, oh, I know what God wants me to do, but I'm not going to do it. That's fundamentally, fundamentally an act of unbelief. 
Because we don't really then believe what God has said, what God has spoken. And, and of course, what do we need to do? We need to bring ourselves in line uh, by grace, by God's Word, by the truth of, uh, of, of the Scriptures. And that's where there's life. That's where there's happiness. That's where there's joy, contentment, and so forth. Because the, the, the point, the, the final point of these last couple of verses, 34 and 35, is with adultery. The adulterer will not find mercy. He not only made a bad choice at the moment, he will experience the result of that sinful choice in, in the future. Jealousy is a husband's fury. He will not spare in the day of judgment. He will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased, though you give him any gifts. The scary words. And and part of part of our learning wisdom is our embracing those words, our trusting those words. It's interesting. You you read the book of Deuteronomy where it talks about uh, wrongful sexual behavior, right? And there were some allowances. I mean, the death penalty was pretty clear for adultery, right? Like somebody's married. But if someone was unmarried, uh, there were some opportunities. If the father would agree, they, would, they could be permitted to marry. Uh, but in certain instances like that, they would not be allowed then to have a divorce. Uh, that was an option that had set sail, as it were. In um, the Heidelberg Catechism, Seventh Commandment, it says that all unchastity, all unchastity is any and every sexual sin you can imagine. All unchastity is a curse of God. Therefore, we should despise it in our hearts. What, what does it mean is an abomination? All unchastity is... Uh, how many of you like to change diapers? No? Dirty diapers. I mean, try as well as you want you're going to want to wash your hands afterward, right? Well, that ew, is how we ought to think of sexual immorality. All unchastity. And of course, the problem today is what? The problem today is that people think they can decide what's right and wrong for me. Or... Self-actualization. It's got to be true to me. Got to do what I got to do. Oh, really? We'd be much better off learning to do what God says. The instruction that we hear. Our time is pretty well spent. <laughs> Just notice. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention. Uh, next Sunday we'll have the Lord's Supper. Uh, this morning we're talking about the work of the Spirit convicting our hearts, giving us direction and counsel in the things of God.
that is because the Spirit is now at work in the hearts and the minds of men. Might it be that we would be aware and repentant of our sins? Might it be that we would grow in grace and knowledge as we trust in the, the Lord Jesus Christ? Might it be that we yield our lives and our wills in devotion to Him? Let's pray. Gracious God, we rejoice to know that You are our God and that we are Your people. We thank You that You've called us out of darkness and brought us into Your life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.